You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Morning, everybody. So recently, I performed a wedding, and it was the first wedding I'd actually ever performed. And, and it wasn't thinking about it, and I didn't have it in my notes until the day of, I had the, uh, the father of the groom come up. He's like, I was told to deliver you a message. <laughs> okay. Um, like, we need to tell everybody, please silence your cell phones. And I just heard the little, it's like, we are in that day and age. <laughs> that needs to be in the part of the wedding. It's like, okay, here we are. Anyway, that was free. Um, we... Uh, we as a church, we really, um, there's a saying we use a lot, uh, it's called majoring on the majors and minoring on the minors. And what that means is that we, there are certain things that we will, we're going to die on that mountain. We're going to major on the majors. Jesus Christ, Son of God, our only Savior, we will die on that mountain. That is a major, that is a fighting point. That is the thing that we're not going to argue about, we're not going to cause division about, because that is what we believe. We're not move in one direction or another on that. Major issue. Um, that worship needs to be a part of your life. Major issue. Scripture is very clear on this. You need to worship God with your life. Everything you do needs to be as unto the Lord and not as unto men. Major issue. Minor. What does that specifically look like in your life? Well, for me, it's doing this. For you, it's going to be something else. I'm not going to say this is the only way you can truly worship the Lord. That's not true. That's a minor. That's simply how I express that command of the Lord. That we, when we gather, we sing psalms, we sing hymns and holy songs to one another. As you saw wonderfully we had today. Major issue. We're going to continue to do this. We're going to promote this. We're going to fight for this. Minor issue. Which songs do you sing? <laughs> well, as long as they're not blasphemous and they glorify God and not ourselves, well, that's a preference at that point. That's a minor. We're not going to divide over that. We're not going to fight over that. We're not going to ask, I'm sorry, we're not going to ask everyone's opinion over that. <laughs> it's a minor compared to a major issue. Um, in part, for the, if we're not sure the things that are major issues versus minor issues, major issues are, almost, are usually things that affect out into eternity in some way, or our, our personal interactions with the Lord. These are major issues. What we've been talking about over the last three weeks are major issues. We've been talking about the golden rule. How do we interact with every other person in our lives based on God's good word? Major issue. Followed immediately by the narrow gate. There is only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, his Son. That's a major issue. That that gate is narrow, and the way is hard. These are major things. We need, to, we need to know how to walk through that gate. We need to know how to walk down that path. And so that leads actually right into our passage today. These actually come line after line after line in the scripture. They have to do with one another. We have to take them within context. And so today is out of Matthew 7 and begins in verse 15. And the very first word of that is beware. We're being warned of something. It's going to have to do with this. These things we've talked about, we are, need to beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, people that are going to look like us, talk like us, sound like us, seem 
harmless. It's harmless enough. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. We're using the wording of ravenous wolves. It's that description, kind of like how sin was described, crouching at the door, seeking to devour. A ravenous wolf isn't wanting to come up and say, hey, how's it going? You want to be my friend? No, it's seeking to devour. It's something we should avoid. In fact, probably flee. Because if there's a, ra- a ravenous wolf, there's most like ravenous wolves. There's almost always more than one. We have to beware. We have to be cautious because they come and to seek and devour, to destroy. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now there's two audiences to this passage. There are the people that are being warned. And then there are also the false prophets who in a way are also being warned of the consequences of what they're doing. Because why on earth would he list these other things if it was just the people? Why would he give that forewarning of what's to come? So there's two people being talked to here, considering are we the people or are we potentially the false prophets? We have to be cautious of both. And so I actually wrestled with this quite a bit this week. Um, I've I've said this before. I almost always come into this building in the middle of the week and I kind of do a dry run in my head of what's going to go on and put it before the Lord. How do you want me to say this? How do you want me to present? Is there anything you want me to take away? Is there something you want me to add? Because I've gone through the whole process of the notes and my annotations and I scribble all over it. And I go through it and I probably spent two hours alone on, Lord, what's the emphasis? What's the big deal here? What is the emphasis that you're trying to say? What is the heart of this message? What are they being warned of? Because we can say, oh, well, they're, they're being warned of false prophets. Why? What is it that the false prophets are going to do that we need to be wary of? And I wrestled with this because if we have the people and if they've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they have saving faith in God. Because we talked about that last week. The only way to the Father is through belief in Jesus. Your salvation rides entirely and only on this truth. So if you've accepted Christ and you believe upon him, you have entry into heaven. So what are we being warned of? These people have walked through the gates. They're on the hard path. And I I get that these people are going to make them wander off that path. But what is going to happen then? Because they're still going to be in your presence at the end. So what are you warning of us, Lord? And I wrestled and I wrestled and I wrestled. And eventually I had to have a couple more conversations. I went and talked to Chuck. I went and talked to Matt. And Matt actually brought a verse to mind that I felt really highlights what we're being warned about here, why this is significant in our lives. And it comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
That's Matthew. There we are. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 10. According to the grace of God, given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. That someone else is you. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation of your life. What are you building? Your life. You are building your life upon this foundation. The verses right after this are talking about the wise man who builds his house on the rock. All of these, they all have to do with each other. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day. The day, the day of judgment. The day that we meet our Lord. The day that all of us will be raised up again and will stand before him and he will judge people according to what they've done. I I always want to get ahead of myself. We're going to come to this later. We'll disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What this is talking about is what condition will you be in when you meet your Savior? When you get to the end of the road, how will you present your life to the Lord? This is, a big, this is a big deal in that we're talking about your salvation is not works-based. It is not a works-based salvation. It's not about anything you're going to do that is going to save you. But God constantly reiterates to us through Scripture that there are things we're going to do and that we need to do, and he's commanding us to do. We should be asking Why? Why do I need to be doing these things? But we cannot escape that he commands us. We cannot escape that God says, if you love me, you will obey me. Why? Well, your life is going to be a reflection of everything that you've gone through. And at the end of your life, when you meet the Lord, we will all be tested. We will all be judged for what we've done. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like or what that's going to entail, but I do know when it talks about the great wine throw judgment in Revelation, that books are opened. We're all judged according to our deeds. And then the book of life is opened. And those whose names are written in the book of life enter into the glory of their master. But there's an accounting for. What life did you lead? Do you want everything that you've built your life on to be burned up and left with nothing but ashes to present before the Lord? This is what I've got. Or do you want your life to be built on gold and silver and precious stones, things that will survive, things that you can present to the Lord saying, this is the good things that I followed of you, God, and that's all that's left. I want to give that back to you and thank you for the life you've given me. It was a life worth living, Lord. How do you want your condition to be when you enter the glory of the Master, when you enter God's presence because if we allow ourselves to be led off the path, it's going to be wood and straw and hay, and those things burn right up. So we need to be wary. We need to be warned. So false prophets, how do we, how do we note them? What are they going to do? 
What do we need to check on when we are listening to the voices of other people? 1 Timothy 6. If anyone teaches different doctrine and does not agree with the sound word of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. This is the measuring line. When you hear what people are teaching, it needs to first be in agreement with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that he came forward and shared with us on this earth that is recorded through the epistles, we need that teaching needs to line up with that. It cannot contradict that. And then the, the, the teaching that accords with godliness. These are the instructions that have been given to us by the Lord through the people that he's put in place. This is scripture. Essentially we're saying, does it line up with the word of God? If not, flee from that. Bring some correction to that. Say, hey, by the way, that doesn't line up with this or this or this or that. And you shouldn't be teaching that, sir. We need to be on our guard against what's being taught and not just go, wow, that sounds good. I, I kind of like that. It doesn't exactly line up, but I might have been mistaken. No. It's got to line up with the word of God. He is puffed up with conceit. Conceit. Conceit means being full of oneself. They have a really high opinion of who they are and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels and, oh no, quarrels about words. This is the person that's looking for a fight. They're looking for a debate. Let's argue. I've got all this research. I've got all these things and you don't and I'm winning this. We all kind of know that kind of person. They're just ready. What did you say about that? They're ready for a fight. They want to argue with you. They want to twist the words. They want to get you confused. They want to get you off track. It puffs them up. It makes them feel better about themselves that they can twist you up in their words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. The things they're arguing about, the things they're quarreling about, the things they're trying to rile you up about ultimately only cause division and disunity. They don't promote anything. They don't build up anything. They just get people off track and all ruffled up. And it's for their gain, not yours. In some way, they're seeking either financial gain or influential gain. They want that power. They want that authority. They want to feel like they have that influence over you. And what a day and age to make that possible. Just think about it. All, the, all just the talking heads out there, the voices. I do mean talking head because all you see is this on a screen as they're talking at you about their opinion on what the Bible says. And we have to, they just, they throw it out there. And it might be true, it might not, but they're really good at making it sound good. Why? Because the more people that listen, the more money they make. Now, I'm not going to say this of all the people out there all have evil motivations. I'm not going to say that. But some of them are in this for a buck. And they're going to say things that rile people up, say things that pe get people angsty and get people going, and often simply are things that people want to hear someone say. And the more people that watch, well, off to the side, that little advertisement that keeps popping up, the more they get paid. They're trying to suck you in. This is a trap. Flee. Flee. 
don't get sucked into this. Even if they're saying, oh, I can't, and it gets you riled up in the, in the right sort of way. But no, that's not truth. They're winning when we allow ourselves to be sucked into that conversation. They are gaining influence and authority over you. They've sucked you into the conversation, and now you've just lost. Say no. Push back from it. You are not a good teacher. I'm not even going to listen to what you have to say. 2 Peter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. It will be subtle for some. They're going to bring things, bring things in that kind of, they sound good. They feel good. I, you know, I, I kind of like that. But it's destructive. And it's meant to slowly get you off track. Well, maybe if I just, the one little thing, well, just that, and just that, and just that, and suddenly you're looking that direction, and God was that way. It's subtle to shift you off track, even denying the master who brought them, bringing on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, things that feel good. Oh, it feels right. It just feels so, that is, that is exactly what I want to hear. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not sleep, uh, is not asleep. They're going to sneak in. They're going to slowly shift you off, and it's going to be it's going to be something a lot of us want to hear. It's going to be something that feels good that perhaps we thought we we knew it wasn't right, but there was always sort of a pull that way, anyways something you had to resist of your flesh, and they're saying, no, the flesh is okay in this case. The flesh is never okay. Just clear the air there. The flesh is never okay. It's all, we all are told there will be a constant battle of your life between you and you, between your flesh and between your soul. Soul crying out to God, your flesh calling out to the earthly passions. This is a battle we have to get battle against every day. 1 John 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. When we look out at the world, they do not get to dictate by what's popular at the time what this good book says. Culture does not dictate scripture. It doesn't shift simply because we've got a new idea, a new thing that we think is really important. Suddenly the Bible is speaking all to this and this new revelation in the last 2,000 years, no one saw this, but now I finally bring you the truth. Be wary be warned, culture does not dictate Scripture. We cannot allow it to seep in because the most, the most perverse thing that's seeping in right now that's catching so many young people right now is called moralistic therapeutic deism. That's just a fancy saying of do good, feel good. This is the purpose of everything you do is just whatever you do, 
do what feels good. And if you do a good deed, it's going to make you feel good inside. You've done your good deed for the day. But that is promoting a life glorifying yourself. Who are you doing it for? I'm doing it for me. Everything I do, I simply do it because it makes me feel good. It's designed to get you off track, make you ultimately unproductive for God. Because that's the great hope, that you don't do God's work. That's what the devil wants in all of his schemes and plots. He doesn't want you doing anything for God. He wants you to do it for you or for him. He's good with either one because it's not for God. That's the purposes. That's what we're being warned against, not to be taken off track. And so we have to look, what are some of the signs? So some of the signs are going to be what they're teaching. And the second set of signs are going to be their lives. Do they have good fruit in their lives? Out of Galatians 5.18, it talks about the bad and the good here. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Wording is important. The works of the flesh. These are things that people do. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I want to take a moment on that where it says do such things is often translated also as make a practice of doing these things. People who have decided that this is just going to be their life. I'm going to do these things and I like to do these things and I'm not going to be repentant of these things and this is just a part of my life and I think they're okay. The idea is that they've chosen to live an unrepentant lifestyle and they've chosen to deny the word of God in these areas of their life. They don't actually have that saving faith in God because they just disregard his word. No, I'm, gonna, I'm still going to go off and do this and that. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. We have to consider that when we actually put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we call upon him as Lord and Savior, and we say, Lord, you are Lord of my whole life. That's a big statement. It's actually your whole life. Is that walked out in practice? Lord, I actually give it all to you. We don't say, Lord, I, I give you Sunday mornings. But Monday through Saturday, that's still for me. Is that truly a belief in him as Lord? Lord has a much greater meaning. We, it's hard because we are in this wonderful nation of freedom where we don't have a king. We don't have something really to relate to in this context of when the king says something, it's law, and that must be obeyed, to have allegiance to the king. The closest thing we have is loyalty. When are you actually loyal to Jesus? Or is it just Lip service is just something we said that sounded good at the time. That's the call. It's not to get down on anybody. It's simply a matter of as we go through life, we need to evaluate. We need to check ourselves. Am I actually giving my life over to God? Or have I wandered? Because you can come back. You can always come back. 
Jesus Christ made a way that we can return to him. We get to escape destruction. We get to escape what we rightly deserve because of the sacrifice he made. And he wants all of us to return to him. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but desires that all repent and return to the Lord. And we may do this at any point in time. We may return to God and we may begin to try to shape our lives around him once more, to rely on his spirit once more. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I want you to note for a moment on those descriptions, they are not describing things you do. They are describing your character. They're describing who people are and how that will change your life. If you are a person who is loving, who is joyful, who's peaceable, who is patient, who is kind, who's good, who is faithful, who is gentle, who is self-controlled, will not your whole life reflect that? It's not calling you to specifically do all of these other little good works and check those boxes. It's calling you to allow God's Spirit to change you, to be a person that exemplifies these traits. Because if you exemplify these traits, your life will change. Your works will change as a reflection of what God has done in you, that you've turned your life over to Him. And so these are the things we're actually needing to look for in, our, in the teachers that we go and seek out. Does their life actually reflect a life that has been turned over to Jesus? Because they might do different things that seem good, but anybody can do something for a day. Anybody can make the pattern of something and put on a show. And let's say they go and feed the hungry five times a week. They're so loving. They're so kind. Okay. How do they treat their children? How do they treat their spouse, their family, their friends, the strangers they interact with? How do they treat people when nobody's watching, when they're just out and about in their day? I had a frightening encounter of this um, a while back. I used to work in credit unions for many, many years. How people interact when their money is on the line really shows the truth of character that's within. How do people handle a dire financial situation with people that can't change anything about it but are the representative of the ones that are against them, i.e., the teller, the grocery store clerk? How do they treat the people that they don't have to treat well? Is their character reflective of God in their life? Are they still patient, loving, and kind when they're squeezed? That's harder to find out, which is why we're encouraged to actually know our teachers, to have a relationship with them, to be able to see the character of their lives and not just listen to anything someone randomly is saying out there. John 13, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot Come, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. You have love for one another. How, what are the things that these teachers are saying? Do they exemplify God's love? Or does what they're saying constantly promote division, dissension, hate, rivalries, envy, 
all those things that were described as the conceited man. Is that all you ever hear them say? Just things that rile people up? It might even be from the Word of God, but all it is is focused on these areas. Does it actually promote God's love? I was considering, I was listening to one of these talking heads recently. He had some uh, a teaching that I was curious on, and he was going through a lot of different commentaries, so a lot of different people that he was critiquing, and how he handled that actually I felt represented this very well. When he brought up a person's book or message, he, would, he talked about the person saying, now this person, I've actually met them. They're a lovely individual. I believe they love God. They've done, I think they've done really well. I just disagree with what they're saying, and this is what I disagree with. They still honored the person. They still honored the follower of Christ. They weren't encouraging people to just rip them down and hate them, and um, this is, they're not actually a Christian. And No, he's saying, they're a very nice person. I just think they're confused in this area. And this is the correction I would like to make, because we're actually told we should use Scripture to correct, and we need to correct in a heart of love. Is that what they're doing? Is that what they're promoting? Or are they the conceited man? Because there's a warning. There's a, there's a very harsh warning of, I never knew you. Now, even if that person is at that point where they are the false prophet, they are the conceited man, everyone has the ability to return to God. And that should be our cry for all people, that they return to God. Thus, the warning the warning for them, the warning for ourselves, not to become that person. Don't get off track and don't start getting other people off track. Jesus said it is better for a millstone to be tied around your neck. Millstone is several hundred pound rock stone that would have been rolled to crush grain, wheat, barley to make flour. It is better that that is tied around your neck and that you are cast into the depths of the sea than to lead one astray. We should take that seriously. That's what he's saying here. Take this seriously. It should be the slap in the face, the cold water plunge. (gasps) Am I doing this? Are they doing this? Because if they're doing this, I need to point them back. I need to correct in love to get them back on track. And if they don't have saving faith in Jesus, to get them to have saving faith in Jesus. That should also be the cry of our hearts that no one perish. Genesis, we have to, sorry, got to have myself there. We have to realize, who are we listening to? Which voice are we allowing to influence our life? Because there's a lot of voices out there in the world. It's not like the only voice out there is God. No, there are many, many voices. Firstly, we can be listening to the devil. We might not even realize it, but he's crafty, and he's out there, and he is good at what he does. He's had way more practice than you've had life. He's going to be good at what he's doing. Genesis 3.13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Being deceived isn't an excuse that's acceptable. Eve was still punished because she didn't listen to the voice of God. She listened to the devil. But it's not just the devil. It can be other people. It can be people that you love, you know. Genesis 3.17. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. 
Cursed is the ground because of you in pain. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. This might be someone you love or admire, someone that you care deeply for. And these challenging things come around when they're not in a good place and they want you to do something you know you shouldn't do. And they say, you would do this if you loved me. You don't really care about me. You don't want the best for me. You're just going to let this happen to me. You, you, could, you could make it go away if you just did that. And that will be hard. And that will be a test. Will we listen to the voice of another person or will we listen to the word of God? That's the constant cry throughout our lives. Will you listen to what God is saying? Because there's an account. And there's a higher account, particularly if we are teaching other people. As elders, I have to give an account for you. Chuck, Matt, we all have to give an account. At the end of the Hebrews, it tells the people, essentially in a nutshell, don't make it hard for the elders because they're going to give an account for you. I'm still going to heaven. I'm still going to meet my Savior. But beforehand, he's going to pull me aside and we're going to have a little talk. We're going to see how did this go. Did you actually care for the people that I entrusted in your charge? And there will be different points in each of our lives where there's someone that's going to be entrusted in your charge that you have authority over, and all authority originates with God. Did you do well with the authority he gave you? Did you teach them with godly practices? Did you point them the right way? It's not salvation, but it is important. And when we're listening to these people and we're hearing and we're seeing, and we have to realize that some things that might seem like proof very well might not be. We say, Joe, you should see all the amazing things that are going on in this church. It, it has to be from the Lord. There's no other way this could be. I mean, this has to be God. I'm going to say no, hard no. Not all signs and wonders come from God. Scripture is actually very clear, and it's given us a lot of examples within this. Exodus 7, 10 through 12. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. This was meant to be the sign from God that they're on, they're on behalf of God. The staff turned into a serpent. That's not just a trick. That's not something you just manage. That is power. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and sorcerers and the magicians of Egypt, and they did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. They were able to do the same sign, not by God's power, by some other power. We have to realize that not everything we see that's going to be, wow, how do I, how do I disagree with that? Well, that's really going to be hard to disagree with what you've seen. Revelation 13, 11 through 14. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. Why is that one so significant? Well, this was the sign from God when the prophet Elijah was on Mount Carmel with all the prophets of Baal, and they were saying, who has the actual power? And they prayed, and they prayed for something to be able to, for the sacrifice to be consumed, and nothing they did worked, and then Elijah prayed, and fire rained down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. This prophet 
is going to be able to do the same thing, and they are not a prophet of God. And by the signs that it allowed to work in the presence of the beast to deceive those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Matthew 24, 24. These, are, these last two are talking about things that are to come. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. It's a warning. It's a be aware moment. It's you have to be a little bit suspicious. I know that's not, it doesn't feel good to constantly be wary all the time, but you, there is a certain level of healthy discernment that we have to have to not only test what we see, because clearly things can be done that aren't of God, but also what we hear. They both need to match up. Is what they're saying lines up with the word of God? Is that clearly from God? We have to discern. We have to be wary. These people are teaching us things that are going to affect the rest of our lives. That's the same here. There should be a healthy amount of wariness of Joe. Making sure that everything I say lines up with Scripture. It's okay to come ask a question afterwards. It's okay to say, I didn't quite get that. Some of you already do, and that's great. I encourage all of you, if there's something that you're not quite sure of, to find clarity is this actually lining up with what God's word is? Because that should be the foundation of everything every teacher gives to you, is the word of God. So be wary and be warned. Matthew 25, 31 says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, and he will place the goats on the left. And then he actually goes into a long description of the sheep and the goats and who they are as people. The sheep are the ones that obeyed the will of God, that actually walked after him, that exemplified it in their lives. Not the people that are obeying all the specific commandments but walked through their life with the love of God. Because they even say, Lord, when did we do any of these things that you're saying we did? He's saying, when you did it to all of these people, all of my people, all of my children, you did it as unto me. The purpose was to live a godly life, not to check boxes in the book of commandments. They lived their lives obeying God in love, as opposed to the goats who didn't do these things who didn't actually have that saving faith in Christ, who were still living their lives selfishly for themselves. And he says, I, I never knew you. Depart from me. We won't be sheep. And we don't want there to be any goats. I think that's the hard thing, is that we, sometimes we can focus so in on, like, am I a sheep? I also don't want there to be any goats. And we serve a God that can turn a goat into a sheep. That's the call. Make disciples of all nations. Make sure your words aren't just lip service. Make Talk is cheap. Make sure you meant what you said when you confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you didn't, you can say it today. If you're thinking, I'm not sure, say it today and mean it. 
Jesus Christ is Lord of my whole life. I give it all to you. I repent of what I've done. I understand that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. I was headed towards the path of destruction, and you've saved me out of this, Lord. I acknowledge you as Lord and Savior of my life, and I will do the best I can to follow you through the strength you provide each and every day, God. Please help me guide others to you as well. Help me round up the goats that they might become sheep. So that number may be few. James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and does not is not a doer. He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religious is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's being renewed in your mind by the word of God, to not being conformed to the world that's out there, to not let it lead you astray. And so we have a shift when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord. This no longer becomes the law of death. We are operating under the law of liberty now, the law of grace, the new covenant in Christ. And it shifts the way we should look at God's word, subtly. A lot of things are subtly. You shouldn't be looking at this as a book of laws and consequences. Although those are there, we now get to look at this as a manual. We think about what's the purpose of a manual? It's to help make sure everything runs correctly. You think about this as a manual for your life. How do you treat a manual for your car? You look in it, you have to continue putting gas in the car? Amazing! That's why it's not working anymore. This is true for our lives. If I don't fill it with oil, it seizes up and the engine breaks. Oh, that's what happened. Did you know? We should have these moments. Did you know the engine seizes up? Oh, things have to be replaced from time to time. The blinkers tell people which way I'm going. That would probably make a lot of accidents not happen. This is crazy. This is a great book. Yes, it is. It's a manual for our lives. It helps us walk out the law of grace and love. It's not, a, it's not a book of boxes to be checked. It's teaching us how to walk with God as it was always intended and to point others to him as well. Amen?